0: We just thank the Lord again. I mean, He's so good. Isn't He faithful? Man, what a great just a great spirit here this morning and I, I love how faithful God is just to to show up. It's I mean, I love corporate worship when we come together and um God always has something for us if our hearts are open. And I think sometimes I know for me it's like so many times like it's like, man, I could just sleep in this morning or you know, I just have so much other things to do, and then and then we come, and then God always is faithful to speak to us. Does that, does that happen to you? That happens to me all the time. I mean, I have to be here, but um, I'm glad that I come, and God always speaks something um, to my heart, and I, and I believe that that when we're our hearts are open and available to the Lord, He can speak to you through His Word, He can speak to you through a song, He can speak to you as you're driving somewhere it It's the sensitivity of our heart to hear what God wants to speak to us and and i want I want you to be I want you to be assured this morning that that God does hear us, and I think sometimes we're looking for these great epiphanies or these grandiose moments for God to speak to us, but how do many you know that God can speak to us in a still small voice in a quiet moment He can just still your heart and I think for some of you here today, there's a lot of anxiety and maybe there's a lot of turmoil in your life right now and there's heavy burdens on your heart. And I want you to know that God can speak to you in a still, small voice and rest your soul today and that we can find rest in him. He is the shelter of the Most High, that, that cleft in, in the side of a cliff that, that we can hide and that we can rest in that God is always there, and he wants us to find that place in him, even though everything else around us may be going crazy and upside down. God says, listen, there's a place I want you to be that's right by my side, that I will speak to you and that I will give you my peace to help you walk through it. How many, how many of us know that tomorrow may hold the same type of problems, but we know that there's a Savior that we can run to that's been through everything that we've been through, that can sympathize with us, that understands us, that can empathize with us. Uh, because he's been through everything that we've been through. And he's perfect in every way. Aren't you thankful for that today? I, I wish I would do that more because I'm, I'm stubborn sometimes. Are you stubborn sometimes and hard-headed? Look at your neighbor and say, you are hard-headed sometimes, right? Especially if you're married. Come on. Let's start fights this morning. Can we start some fights this morning with some married couples? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, we know we are. And um, but but when we when we just reside ourselves to the Lord, He's so faithful to to speak to us. Amen? Amen. We are we are in a series that we're looking at at things that are true or not true. I mean, I I think when we uh, are asked questions about our faith, uh, sometimes I think people ask us questions that are some tough questions that that maybe we're not really sure about, and and we've been looking at. Uh, just some tough topics that I don't want us just to ignore, because I think ignoring a tough topic that's in the Word of God doesn't do us much good. And I think that we should tackle these questions because there are questions that skeptics ask that are good questions that I believe that we as believers should have answers for, and that and that we can, uh, in our faith and our walk with the Lord, uh, can be assured that it's just not some blind leap of faith or it's something that, you know, in order to trust Christ and to to know that God's word is true, it's like, okay, I have to just check my brain at the door. But is there evidence? Can we authenticate the Bible? Is is Jesus who he says he is? And it's not just me saying it. It's, it's, It's authenticated through the very life of Jesus. And we can see the evidence both internal and external, that the Bible that you're reading today is truly the Word of God. And, and I, don't wanna, I don't want you just to say, okay, well, I believe it because pastor said it or some other person said it. I want you to know it for yourself. I want you to have that confidence in knowing that when you read the Word of God, that it is God's Word, that it's living and it's active and that it's God-breathed. And it's useful for correcting and rebuking and training in all areas of righteousness. I want you to have that confidence. And so we're looking today, uh, last week we talked about is, is hell and Satan real? And if you missed it, you can go on our website and check that out. Or if you've got some type of podcast you listen to, it's there under Living Word and, and check that out. And and we're we're looking today at whether or not the Bible is true. Is it is it really the Word of God and, and can we prove it? Can we authenticate it? And I really want to look at that today because there are many questions that people will ask, and maybe you've heard these questions that 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 maybe you didn't know how to answer. Um, some people may say, you know, the, the Bible, and I've heard this quite a bit, well, you know, the Bible contradicts itself. And I always ask that person that asked me that question, like, okay, show me in the Bible where it contradicts itself. And usually they don't have an answer because they don't know. Now, maybe they do have an answer. Maybe they've studied a little bit more and they, do, uh, they have some type of theory of how the Bible contradicts itself. And there's many ways that we can answer that and have a logical explanation. Um, some people may say, well, what about all the violence that's in, in the Bibles, specifically in the Old Testament? Um, doesn't science disprove the Bible? I've heard that one quite a bit. And, and, and we've talked about this in Many messages before how actually science points to a creator and how fine-tuned our earth and world is. Just how privileged a planet that we live on for us just to be here today. Everything has to be in perfect Order for you and I to be sitting here and breathing the air uh, that we're we're breathing, and so we see how science points uh, to a creator and how well designed our world is. Um, isn't the Bible just fake news? I've heard that one now. Is it, you know that's the big thing and fake news, fake news, right? Isn't the Bible just fake news? Um, um, isn't it, it uh, the Bible's just full of stories, but they're not necessarily true? And the Bible that we have today—is it? Is it, can we trust it? Can we trust the Bible today? And many people will say, because they look at the Bible and they think, well, it's just a a bunch of rules that, you know, to to try to subject us to and and to keep us from um, having fun. It's a a joy sucker. The Bible just wants us to not have fun in our world today. And and aren't the best morals the ones that are right for you? Um, We hear that quite a bit. And so how well are we at answering the skeptics? Um, there is always one in your life, right? There's that family member or a friend that argues with you at family functions, or that coworker that's always trying to, to, to stump you. Um, but I want you to know that, that we can answer them, and, and that we can have a reasonable faith and a logical faith. That we believe that the Bible truly is um, the Word of God. Uh, what I did today, I, I, I brought in my first Bible. Um, this was given to me 38 years ago when I first became a Christian at the age of 16. It's beat up. It's duct taped. And what's amazing, going through my first Bible, and I even got the tabs. I remember, remember the tabs that you put in the Bible so you could easily reference it. How many of you actually had a Bible with tabs in it? Good, you make me feel good. Um, it, it should. I actually like the tabs, actually. I want to kind of go back to that. I can really reference things really quickly. And, um, you know, as I, I go back through the pages and it's underlined and, you know, I, I look back at how God spoke to my heart as a young teenager. In some of the verses that are underlined, I see the things that God truly spoke to me. And I had this Bible next to my bed and I would read it, and there's so many parts of it that I didn't understand, that I would have so many questions about. But the one thing I can tell you is that God's word has never let me down in 38 years of following Him. He's so faithful. And, and yes, there are things that have happened in my life that, that maybe I don't understand or why this thing happened or why that thing happened. But the one thing I can tell you is that the Lord has never let me down and it has guided my life like no other. And so the question is, can we trust this book to be the very word of God? Because if it is the very word of God, then it, then it has words of life that can change us. And we should never take this for granted. This this word is precious. It's like water to our souls. It, it, it should be something that we seek like like the psalmist said, as as a deer panteth for the water for that stream, so my soul longeth for you. That that should be our desire to want to know what God has for us in his word. And so we we see many so-called religious or, or sacred books. Is this just one among many others? Some would say the Bible was written so long ago... And basically it's just a tool maybe to oppress people. And so maybe in our midst here today, we have two groups of people. Maybe you're here and you just believe the Bible to be God's word. And maybe you're just like, if God said it, I believe it. And that settles it, right? And maybe you're just that simple. But but you can't, that type of logic can't answer the questions of of a skeptic. Maybe you have a deeper understanding and you study for yourself and you're convinced and you just believe and you might be here and you're just like, you know, yeah, pastor, I'm just, I'm not real sure you might believe the Bible like any other religious writings, and, and you hold the Bible maybe to that same level as other sacred or, or so called sacred religious writings. And you might be here and you're not sure, and you may believe the Bible is just like any other religious writings. I like what Tim Keller says here in his book Reason for God. He makes a great point concerning, um, concerning our, our pursuit for having a logical explanation for why we believe what we believe. He says this, he goes, People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing question of a smart skeptic. See, I want you to understand that we don't have to check our brains at the door in order to believe the Bible is indeed the Word of God. I like what Chuck Colson says here. He makes a good point. He said, the Christian faith is not some irrational leap. Explained objectively, the claims of the Bible are irrational uh, propositions well supported by reason and evidence. I, I, I was talking to somebody not too long ago, and and, and they were like, you, you, you have a strong faith, and I can see it in you, but... But they were saying, like, I just don't get it. And I and I really wanted them to understand It's it's not a faith that's a faith in myself. It's not just this blind jump of faith that I just believe it, but it has no evidence to back it up. I said, my faith is not faith in my faith. My faith is in Christ who showed us the way. Christ is the one who conquered the grave. Christ is the one that says, even though you die, you live. Christ is, is the one who went to the cross for us. He, he conquered sin and death and the grave to prove his divinity. My faith is in that. If that's true, then everything else changes. It's, it, it, it's Jesus authenticated his life by what he did, not simply by what he said. There's a lot of people saying a lot of stuff today. There's a lot of religious leaders that say a lot of stuff, and people will claim that to be truth. But the evidence, where is the evidence? Jesus gives us the evidence. God gives us his word to give us confidence to know that what we believe is what we believe. And I will stake my life on that. And that is why the disciples, many of them, most of them died a martyr's death for the very sake of the resurrection. Why would anyone die for a lie? Especially uh, saying, listen, we saw the risen Savior, and we're going we're gonna to keep, you know, keeping this lie going. You don't think someone would eventually stood up and say, hey, this has been fun for a time, but I'm not ready to give my life for it. But the disciples, the early disciples... The apostles gave their life for that very fact. Let me let me just encourage you real quick. We'll side note. Um, let me just give you a couple names here of those who will, can help you um, with just apologetics or the defense of our faith. Here, here's a couple of people that I listen to and I read. If you want to jot them down, go ahead. If you listen to podcasts, these are great podcasts. They're, some of them are 20, 30, 40 minutes long. But let me just give you a couple names here um, Real quick to help you. Uh, a couple of people that I really like. One is William Le- Lane Craig. William Lane Craig. And it's, uh, his podcast is called Reasonable Faith. He's written many great books. Just look up William Lane Craig, Reasonable Faith, and you can listen to his podcast. Those are incredible. I love Ravi Zacharias. His podcast is Let My People Think. I just love that title. Um, Ravi's written many great books. I love his podcast. Um, another great name is Hank Hanegraaff. He's the Bible Answer Man. Really good stuff. So Hank Hanegraaff. And then, um, if you, if you want to get, um, really just into it and deep, uh, one of my favorite scholars ever, I, I love this guy, is N.T. Wright. And he has a great podcast, many great books, and his podcast is ask or ask NT write anything. Ask NT write anything. These are great podcasts, and these are great authors and great books to help you um, with your pursuit in in knowing the evidence that we have and why we believe what we believe, and being able to answer the skeptic logically, knowing. That, um, yeah, what we believe can, can logically be explained and be reasonable and, and, and be able to answer the, the skeptic. See, the whole point of the Bible that we need to understand, the whole point points to one person. And that person is Jesus. I mean, really, the, the, the Bible is not to be a science book. It's a theological book that points to our greatest need, and that's a Savior, And so the Bible points to Jesus. The overwhelming theme of the Bible is the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior. The Old Testament points to this Messiah, Jesus. The New Testament scriptures authenticate the divinity of Jesus. So the first question I want to dive into today is this. Is the Bible we have today... A watered-down version of the original writings of its authors is what we have today. Can we trust what what you're holding in your hands today, or what you read? Is this just a watered-down version? Have things changed over uh, the years, or have people manipulated it to to mean something that it didn't mean from the original writers? That's a good. That's a good question, and I don't want to divert away from that question, so I want to look at some external evidence of the Bible, and I want to look at some internal evidence so that you know that what you're reading here today is truly the original intent and meaning of the author some 2,000 years ago. So does the Bible, the questions we need to ask ourselves is, does the Bible pass the test of accuracy, and does the Bible pass the test of consistency? Those are two very, very important questions. So let me, let me just compare the Word of God to other ancient writings and antiquities, and how does the Bible stand up to other ancient writings that we, we, we know very well. Let me just give you four. Um, we could be here all day, but let me just give you four uh, ancient writings in antiquity. The Greek philosopher Plato, he wrote between 427 and 347 B.C., The earliest manuscripts that we have from Plato is from 900 A.D. And we have seven of those manuscripts. And from his writings to the earliest manuscripts we have, there is a 1,200 year gap. 1,200 years. The Greek philosopher Aristotle wrote between 384 and 322 B.C., And the earliest manuscript we have from him is between from 1100 to 1400 years ago, and we have 49 of those manuscripts. The Roman historian Tacitus wrote around 100 AD, and the earliest manuscript we have from him is around 1100 AD, a thousand year gap, and we have 20 copies of his writing the most let me just talk about manuscripts ancient manuscripts in antiquity the most manuscripts that we have in antiquity is from homer's iliad and we have 643 copies which is the most famous book of ancient greece now i want you to notice something here i want you to notice the gap from their writing and the manuscripts we have Um, We don't have people today arguing if they are real or saying we shouldn't read Plato's Republic. We we don't have people running around saying, hey, there's too big of a gap here. We shouldn't authenticate those books and we should just do away with them. that's That's not what people are saying. We're reading them. So how does the Bible stand up against these ancient writings of antiquity? Well, the New Testament was written between 50 and 100 A.D., And the earliest writers can go back to the 2nd century AD. And there's only a 100-year gap. And we have some fragments of the Gospel of John that can be dated to a couple decades later. The New Testament has well over 5,000 manuscripts. Can someone just say, wow, and compare... is, Is anybody with me out there today? Just check in. Okay. I know they're like, Pastor, I didn't know I was going to a college class here, but just stay with me, okay? I know it's early... Hope you drank your coffee, and I hope your orange juice was expired. Okay, so let's, let's, just, let's just look at this. Five th- in comparison to any other writings in antiquity, the manuscripts that we have for the word of God blows them all away. So we have so many manuscripts that can test each other to make sure that what you have today is truly authentic. Another interesting fact is this. Even if we didn't have the manuscripts... We, we have enough quotations from the early church fathers from the 2nd century and the 3rd century that we could reconstruct almost the entire New Testament and only miss 11 verses. It's incredible. So what does this all mean? What does this all mean? What this means is the Bible that we have today is accurate to the original writings and we can trust it. Now let, let, me, give you some, let me give you this incredible thing that happened in in 1947. There's this Bedouin shepherd, and he's in the Judean Desert, and he's taking a rock like any shepherd boy would do, right? Any young, and he's just throwing rocks into caves. He's just he's bored. He's not obviously he's not watching the sheep. I don't know what he was doing, but he's just throwing rocks, and all of a sudden he hears a crash. Now, it, it, some of you have you been to that area? It's very difficult to get into these caves. <laughs> They're not. You just can't climb into them. So he's throwing them away up there. He hears this, and so they began to investigate what was going on here. Now these caves were by the Dead Sea, and uh, just where these, where this area is, is, so arid it can just preserve things for 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 many 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 years. It's just amazing uh, what happened here. And so what they did is they did an archaeological uh, study. And what they found in um, these caves, they found Old Testament manuscripts of the Bible. In fact, these manuscripts were so old that they were a thousand years older than any other manuscripts we had. They were just preserved so well. One of the manuscripts that they found was very interesting. They call it actually the giant Isaiah scroll. And what this giant Isaiah scroll they found was, it was 23 feet long in 17 parchment sheets. And it was the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Now, I was able, I think Ruth, you went with me. Uh, They were doing a tour with the Dead Sea Scrolls, some of them, many, many, I think like 15 years ago. And they were in Toronto and I went with my parents. I think Ruth, you came with us too. And we went up to Toronto. We took a bus tour, and went up. And I actually got to saw part part of these uh, uh, giant Isaiah scroll. It was incredible. I mean, the room you walked in. You had to wear special white suits and gloves and hazmats. Face ma- no, I'm just teasing. Everything was just perfectly, I mean, they were under these huge glass things because everything had to be perfect because they didn't want uh, to compromise the manuscripts. And what what we see here and what we understand about uh, these scrolls uh, is is very interesting. Um, what we know is that um, this specifically this giant Isaiah scroll was written some 300 years before Christ in... in I I want you to just take a guess of the Old Testament book that contains the most prophecies about Jesus. It's the book of Isaiah. It's like this book was complete in its entirety, and in the book of Isaiah alone, there's 125 prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah, alone, the most in any other Old Testament writing. And the manuscript, what's interesting that they found, that they took this giant Isaiah scroll and what they did is they matched it up with the one that was a thousand years later. Now, if you take anything, a gap of a thousand years, you would think, I would think logically there would be a tons of mistakes. And so what, what, here, here's my other thinking. If the New Testament writers wanted to manipulate the Old Testament so that it would fit Jesus as the Messiah, that would be the way to go. And you would think that this thousand-year-old manuscript that was a thousand years older than anything new we would have, you would think, ah, this thing is going to expose any type of manipulation that later writers would do to try to change the word of God to make it more conducive to the person of Jesus. You would think that. So you would take this 1000 year older manuscript and you would compare it to what we have. Here's what they found. This is amazing. The manuscript, the giant Isaiah scroll, matches almost perfectly the later manuscripts of Isaiah. The only difference, here is the only difference, the only difference was grammar differences, which tells us that in no way did the New Testament writers change a thing in the Old Testament to match the prophecies about Jesus. It's incredible. This should be absolutely blowing your mind right now. Good, thanks, Ruth. I'm glad Ruth is the only one. I'm glad Ruth came today. So, so here's here's what we have in in our word today. You say, well, well, Pastor, how did they come up with the sixty six books? How how did they come up with the Bible? Because you know, I was watching the History Channel. Mistake number one. Okay, if you're getting your theology from the History Channel, I would say be careful because they use the most liberal theologians possible to try to put things in there and I never see any evangelical conservative uh, theologians, if they got NT right on there, then I would respect them, but they usually don't. Okay, um, so don't don't get your theology from the History Channel because they say, well, you know, they they said that a bunch of people were sitting around and and they came up with the Bible and you know, there's this book that they say that they ignored called the the Book of Judas. Let me just say, this, if you're reading the Book of Judas, something is wrong. Okay, uh, what about this book? Okay, so let let me address that because some of you may have watched the History Channel and you're like. Well, they said this is manipulated, and there's a bunch of guys that came together, and they're the ones that put, um, especially the 27 books in the New Testament and, and, and came together with the 66 books. So let, let me let let me, let me talk about this. There are three primary, primary criteria for the canon of Scripture that we have today. The primary criteria for the canonicity of the Bible that we have today. Now, the word, when I use canon. Basically, it's just a word that means a read or measurement. The books we have today measure up to the standard of the Holy Scriptures. So let me give you the three criteria. The first criteria is authorship. Was it an apostle or someone who was an eyewitness to Jesus? Was it someone who was with an eyewitness, lived at that time, was an eyewitness to the person of Jesus? That's one criteria for authorship. The second uh, criteria is congruency. Is it consistent with early Christian teachings? Because there's many books that are floating around, but, but they're just not consistent with early Christian teaching. And the third criteria was acceptance. Were these letters widely accepted by the early church? This is, this is imperative. Were these letters accepted by the early church? So here's, there's a lot of conspiracy theories, the Da Vinci Code jumped into that many years ago, and that's come and gone, and the conspiracy is there's a bunch of people uh, who just sat around, and, and they included what we have in our Bible today, and they excluded other so-called Gospels. Here's what I want you to understand, why the Da Vinci Code is wrong, and uh, Tom Hanks missed it, and has moved, Now I'm just teasing, if you watched Da Vinci Code, none of you, did anybody watch the Da Vinci Code? That's, it's good to watch that because then you can listen to the sermon and say, this is where they were wrong, okay? So I want you to be experts here. Here's what the early church did. The early church, what they did was the early church, they recognized what the church had already authenticated years earlier so they could refute false teaching. So when you hear about different councils, they say, oh, this council, they came together and they authenticated the Bible and they put the 27 books together. No. What they did is these councils came together to refute nut jobs that were running around trying to add other books that weren't consistent with what the church had already authenticated years later. So what they did is they came up with a can to say, we're, 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 not, we're not putting this together. We're just approving what the early church has already approved so that we can disprove any heresy that's coming down the line. So that when we have this book, we can say, this is the book. This is the canon of scriptures. This is the holy scriptures. And we can refute any other books or any other people that have come along and said, oh, I've got more of God's word or this book that becomes revealed. And so many of these other books that people may wonder about why, you know, this This wasn't added, or so on and so forth. The reason why it wasn't added is because it was written much, much later than the books that we have in our word today. And so right away, it didn't match those three criteria. Thank God we have the word that we have today so that we can refute other teachings. It's imperative that we understand that. Look at Luke chapter 1. I love what Luke says here in Luke's Gospel. Luke says this. He says, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. So he's, he's saying people are writing eyewitnesses about the things that have happened about Jesus. He said they they use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from early disciples. And so Luke, just being an incredible historian that he is, incredible writer that he is, he says. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, the most honorable Theophilus. Now, this was a disciple. Uh, Theophilus helped fund the writing uh, of, of Luke's gospel. And so he writes this to Theophilus, and he says, So you can, I love this, Theo, listen to me, Theo, listen to me, Theo. Theo, So you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Luke is the man. Luke said, listen, Theo, I'm going to write this. And I've got all these eyewitness accounts so that you can be sure that what was told to you can be authenticated. Man, Luke was smart. Luke wanted... Theophilus, to know that what he believed was truly the word of God. And so what we have here in, in the word of God, which is so incredible, written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors on three different continents and three different languages. Now, right away, that just say, wow, that, that's incredible. Can you imagine trying to get 40 different authors to get, together and just to write on one topic? You're going to get all kinds of opinions, aren't you? They would be all over the place. Now try to get 40 different authors to write on one topic over 1,500 years. Authors from diverse backgrounds. You're going to be all over the place. Why is the Bible consistent? Why is the Bible consistent? Here's, Here's the reason why. This is so important. Because the word of God didn't originate with man or man's thoughts, but God. God literally breathed his life, his word into existence through the vehicle of these men. And with that, we can trust the Bible. One of the most important verses dealing with... Uh, dealing with scriptures comes from second Timothy three, sixteen and seventeen as, as Paul, the apostle Paul encourages Timothy as he pastors his churches. And this is what this is what Paul says. He says all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Paul uses this word all Scripture. It means all inclusive, not parts, but all. The words God breathe there are actually two Greek words that are put together. It's the word Theos, which is God, and Neo means to breathe. God breathe. So the originator is the Holy Spirit. That's why there's such consistency within the Bible. That's why the Bible doesn't contradict itself because it's from one author, God Himself. I like what Peter says here in Peter first uh, chapter one verses twenty and twenty one. He says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about from the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by who? The Holy Spirit. Okay. So, Pastor Barden, what do we do with all this? If, if, if there's evidence for the word of God, um, what do we do with all this? How, how do we apply it to our lives? Because we can have knowledge about the word of God, but then not apply the word of God to our lives. I love what Mark, let me, just, let me just quote from the theologian Mark Twain. He wasn't a theologian, by the way, but let me just quote from Mark Twain. He says, and he has great grammar here too, by the way. He says, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. That should bother us. See, we can sit there and argue all day long. Well, what about the, but listen, when you read the word of God, if we believe it's from God's word, if we believe it's God, breathed, if we believe it's, it's, it's for us and it's to change us, then it should be changing us. See, the biggest evidence for the truth of God's word, and we looked at external evidence, we looked at internal evidence, but the biggest evidence for God's word is a change to life. How God's word changes us. How we know the will of God when we read his word. When we read uh, what God did in the Old Testament, we see how God worked and how people had to trust him. When we look in the New Testament, how the authors of the New Testament, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, spoke and corrected the early church, we see those things that God did in the hearts and lives, and we see how God changed lives and how the world was changed because of his word and people obeying his word. James Woodbridge, a historian, says this. When you take into consideration the early Christians' fearless devotion to faith, their willingness to testify through their own martyrdom to the truth of Christ, their humble and compassionate lifestyle, their, their care for each other and, and the helpless, for the helpless and the hurting and the disenfranchised in the community, their commitment to prayer and their empowerment by the Holy Spirit, you can begin to understand why their faith spread so quickly. And for secular historians, when they look at the early church, they are completely baffled. They're completely baffled how this ragtag group of people under the power of the Holy Spirit literally changed the world around them. It, they're baffled by it. They're baffled by how powerful the church was when it looked so unimpressive. It's the power of God. It's the power of a changed life. And I want you to be confident in knowing that you are reading, what you're reading in the word of God, was written by God himself, and you can trust it. You see, at the end of the day, what's the point about the Bible? Why did God give us his word? The word of God is God's redemptive plan for man. We have God's word to show how God came to redeem us back to himself. How through sin we lost our way, we alienated ourselves from God, and then God, we see through the Old Testament, raising up a group of people as God's chosen people to eventually usher in the Messiah who is Jesus Christ, who came, who was God, came through his incarnation to reach us, to show us back to God. You see the Garden of Eden where things were perfect and then eventually we see at the end of Revelation God restoring all those things that were broken because of sin. That's the purpose of the Bible is to show us God's plan and that God wants to use us for his redemptive purposes to let the world know this is the God that we serve and that we have and this is who Jesus is. I love uh, what uh, Peter says uh, to Jesus. It's in John 6. and Jesus is starting to speak very harsh words. I mean, very not just harsh words, but convicting words about the motivation of why people are following him because people like following him because of all the miracles that he was doing. And, and, and people started to leave him that were claimed to be disciples of him. And then Jesus looks at his close disciples and he says, are you going to leave too? And I want you to see what Peter says. It's recorded for us. And he, Jesus looks at him, are you going to leave too? And then Peter answers him. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. God's word was written to us to show us the words of eternal life. And my prayer for you is that you would have complete confidence and boldness to know that what you're reading here is God's word. And that God not only wants us to know his word so that, so that we can refute the false philosophies in our world but also that the word of god would just speak to our hearts to change us to give us a greater love for this world a greater love for him a greater hunger for him to know what his will is for us and so my encouragement to you is this is not simply reading the bible for knowledge but reading the, the word of God so you understand the heart of God and who Jesus is. That will become your anchor. The word of God will be that, that light unto, right? Light into your path. Lamp into your feet. It, 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 it should consume us. It should speak to us. And what the word of God does, because it's living and active, the Hebrew writer says, it will convict us. It will sharpen us. It will, it will direct us closer to the Lord. Listen, there, the world that we live in today is competing for your attention. Every place we turn, there are bullhorns that are screaming at us, saying, look at this, do this, do that. And if we don't have an anchor in our lives in the word of God, it's going to be very easy for us To turn to this and to turn to that. That's why we're given the Word of God, so that we also can refute those things that God doesn't want us to fall prey to. But also, give us a greater heart for God and a greater love for Him. I'm so thankful for the Word of God. I'm so thankful that God, uh, that we have this written down for us so that we can know who Jesus is and we can know Him more intimately. I know for us here in America, we may have six or seven, eight, nine Bibles. We can have the Bible on our phones. I mean, it's, it's so easy to access the Word of God, and there's other parts of the world that just don't have um, that accessibility, where the Word of God is actually outlawed, where some churches in Vietnam, when we had Voice of the Martyrs speak in our church not too long ago, they, they, they have to smuggle the Word of God to small house churches, and it's not even complete bibles sometimes it just bits and pieces of the word of god and they'll read it over and over and over and over again it, it's like gold to them and i know for me i don't want my heart to get cold or to take for granted what we have it's precious his word is precious and it should change our hearts amen so let me pray for you father god Lord, I thank you for your word today and what we have today. And God, I just pray, Lord, that, that God, as we read your word, you would change us, Lord, each and every day, that you would let us know that, that God, your your plan for us and plan for man is to bring us back to you. It, it instructs us, it rebukes us, it... It shows us how we are to walk with you. And I pray that we would just be those students and those disciples of your word, not to puff, up, puff ourselves up with knowledge, but to give us a greater desire to follow you. And your word should humble us, Lord. It should, it should allow us to serve each other in greater capacity, to serve this world with a greater capacity, to give us a greater love, your love, Lord, for this world this lost and dying world that needs a savior so desperately. So Lord, we just thank you for your word today. And and I just pray, Lord, that we, for some that, that aren't consistently in your word, Lord, that they would just start, start somewhere of reading your word. Just start somewhere, Lord. And just begin to read it. We may not understand all of it, But, Lord, help us just to start to be maybe involved in a Bible study. But just to take that step forward to say, I'm I'm not content with where I am now. Lord, just stir in our spirit discontentment, Lord, to not be where we are now, but to keep striving to know you more and more. There's a whole world that you desire to open up to us, God. And we thank you that you speak to us through your word today. We love you. We thank you. I pray that we would continue to be a church that would be guided by your word. That the things that we teach would glorify you and the instructions that we teach, the doctrines that we teach here at Living Word would glorify you in your word, God. So we thank you, Lord, for never leaving us and not forsaking us and giving us everything we need to follow you. We love you. We thank you. And we ask these things in your name, Jesus. And all God's children said, amen.